No one can serve two masters, for he must either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They sow not, and reap not, and gather not into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more than they? But who among you can add one foot to his growth, even though he worries about it? And why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies in the field, how they grow. They do not work, do not spin. But I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was so clothed as one of them. If then God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the stove, would he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore you should not worry and say, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The pagans seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So today we're going to be focused on that last part especially. Do not worry about tomorrow. So again, we're talking about Matthew 6, 24 through 34, um, and talking specifically about Kierkegaard's exposition of that passage in The Lily in the Field and The Bird of the Air, three devotional discourses. So our first discourse was about silence. Our second was about obedience. Our third is about joy. And the three of those each leads into the other um, very nicely. And, and in reading all three of them, you can appreciate that they are very close. They're, they're interconnected and, and all sort of rely on each other. Um, so I don't want to refer to the text too much because it is very short. I mean, you can read it in a few minutes. Um, it is very beautiful. Again, he's, he's in this sort of poetic mode, um, a lot of natural imagery. Um, but we're learning joy from the lily and the bird um, and thinking about what Christian joy is, <laughs> what it looks like, um, and, and what our attitude should be towards it. So I just, I'm going to try to keep this pretty brief. I just want to go through a couple of points. So first, I want to recognize, and Kierkegaard uses the word perishability a lot, um, in this particular discourse, but I want to recognize the sort of omnipresence and depth of sorrow that so many of us face, that is, that is in some sense um, universal. Uh, you know, I, I think it's important when we talk about joy, I think Occasionally, there's this tendency to sort of ignore the more sorrowful side of life, to ignore the uglier aspects of life whenever possible, um, to kind of uh, 
turn away from it. And I don't want to do that because I think um, doing that, you know, we, we all deal with grief, we all deal with loss, we all suffer in, in some, in one way or another, um, and you run the risk of being, of becoming naive and being blindsided when, when something really hits you. And I think it's important if we're to understand how to live, to have a view of the world um, and understanding that is capacious enough to recognize you know, the, the immense amount of suffering and sorrow that is in the world and, and is able to live with that um, and live with that in, in a rich and positive way. Uh, and I think when I think about sorrow, I think one of the things that's most frustrating to me is that, and I don't really need to give too many examples because we've all, we've all been through this sort of thing or, or, or seen others go through it, but so much of the suffering in the world is pointless. It doesn't have this kind of redemptive quality. You know, it's one thing to make a sacrifice for someone else or to feel you're, you're making a sacrifice for God. But, but so much of the sorrow that we, that we experience and that we are witness to doesn't have that quality. It doesn't seem in an immediate sense um, that anyone stands to gain from it. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, um, there's there's a tendency to want to understand that why <laughs> why why is there all this suffering why does God allow this suffering to go on um, and and you know from a personal perspective I don't I don't try to understand it I I really don't you know you think about like you know a, a child who's diagnosed with terminal cancer I don't see it as my place to ask why, to try and to try and reason it out as though there's some, as though I'm going to achieve some uh, resolution of oh, that's why now it makes sense. I don't think I can make sense of it. I don't think it is on my shoulders to try and make sense of these these sorts of things. Um, you know, right now I am going through my own sort of um, health challenges and it's all so petty and pointless and stupid. <laughs> and it's like, like, why? Well, there is no, there is no good answer why, um, as far as I'm concerned. But the question is, what do you do with it, right? How do you live with it? Um, so, Part of the crux of what Kierkegaard talks about in the discourse is, again, like with silence, like with obedience, he returns to this, you shall, uh, to this idea of Christianity as a, as a duty and, and as a command, right? Um, so joy in the Christian sense, true Christian joy, the joy of responsibility, of that, that you shall be joyful, you shall be joy itself. Um, it is 
inherently unconditional. And I really want to underline that word unconditional. And I think it gets at something I really appreciate about um, Kierkegaard's direct religious writings, which is that he takes these concepts within Christianity and in a very sort of plain way says, it is as simple as it claims to be. Um, and demands that, that we take it seriously and take it seriously in an absolute sense. That, you know, the, the absoluteness of love of neighbor and of our responsibility to our neighbor, it is just that. It does, it is, it is absolute, it is unending. It does mean everyone. You know, always loving the person that you see without distinction. It is that simple. And there's something revelatory about, you know, coming to accept that. So, in recognizing the, the sort of ugliness of the world, I'm, of course, not trying to um, gloss over how wonderful and rich and beautiful the experience of being in the world can be. Um, because of course that that is the case but the two sort of components here he does talk about experiencing um, or rejoicing in the sort of everyday he talks a lot about the the turning of the seasons he gives a lot of natural imagery um, and and talks about just sort of rejoicing in the fact of being uh, in the gift of being. And I think that is, is really important. And I think the question that that would lead a lot of people into is, what if the present, and I'm going to digress and just, just underline again, the, the importance of the word present and presence, because Remember, we're talking about this not worrying about tomorrow. So for Kierkegaard, joy is very much a rootedness in the eternal today, a real deep sort of presence in the moment. Um, and so I think the question that a lot of people might have is, even if I cast off all concern for tomorrow, even if I will myself to be present in, in the moment, in today, um, what happens when today is, is so full of sorrow, is so full of suffering? Um, so that's where this unconditionalness uh, comes in. The idea is that we have a responsibility to embody joy, to create joy, to experience joy, um, apropos of nothing. So at the same time as we're rejoicing in these sort of simple things of life, we're also recognizing that even as we experience loss, even as these things are taken from us, you know, even as we, we grow older, our health starts to fade, 
Um, we lose relationships, we lose family, friends. You know, we suffer in, in countless different ways. Even as we go through all that, and even as we lose the things which once gave us cause for joy, we can experience joy apropos of nothing. And again, this you shall is so important because it cuts through the, the sort of cynical response that I think is, is all too common. At least I know that I feel it of, yes, and if only I lived like the lily or the bird, if only my life were so simple, if only my sorrow were less, then I could be joyful. Um, and of course, we want to we wanna do away with that as much as we can. And will ourselves to exist in this space of joy, even without cause. Um, and I think... You know, you can see here where silence and obedience sort of lead into this idea of joy. That when, when you're visited by suffering, you know, he spoke in the discourse about silence, about this tendency to want to, to vocalize our sufferings, to sort of give them the loudest conceivable expression. Um, to shout them from the mountaintop, so to speak. And, and we're learning, our goal as Christians is to learn to do quite the opposite. When we're visited by suffering, to see it, recognize it, and in this silent obedience say, I'll bear this too. Whatever I'm given to bear, I will. and to exist in joy anyway. Now, our method of doing this, of, of dealing with suffering and sorrow, we find in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your worries upon him because he cares for you. So this is something that Kierkegaard invokes, this idea of casting all your sorrow upon God. And again, I've talked about this sort of absolute simplicity that Kierkegaard tries to get at. And he says, when we hear that we are to cast all of our sorrow upon God, it could very easily be a meaningless platitude. The only way we prevent it from being a meaningless platitude is to take it altogether literally. And that, to me, is so simple and so profound in its simplicity. This idea that, that yes, we need to take that really seriously. This idea that we're casting our sorrow upon God. And Kierkegaard calls this a feat of meekness, which I think has um, tremendous value because I think when 
so often when we consider what it means to be resilient, we think of strength. We think of almost like muscling through our suffering, of just gritting our teeth and getting through it. But this isn't about strength. It might feel that way, but it's about compliance rather than might. Um, it's about, like I said, you know, having that quiet recognition of suffering and obediently, because remember it is a command, obediently casting it upon God. It's, it's, it's more to do with the will than anything. And I think we have to have that, that faith in our own will and our own capacity to, to really actualize that, to really cast sorrow upon God in that way. Um, another thing I want to consider is what that does um, in the in temporality, in the finite world, so to speak. Um, when we are able to do this, not only does it enable us to experience joy, to be in joy, think about what it does for, for those around us. Um, Kierkegaard specifically says that the only way that joy can be taught is through its embodiment, right? It's not something, and again, this is ironic because I'm recording a podcast here, but it's not something that, that is taught by talking about it. It's not taught in that sort of abstract way. If you want to teach joy, you teach it by living it out in each moment. And so, you know, you may know people, you may yourself be like this, or you may know people in your life who have been in these very difficult circumstances and who have shown an incredible capacity for joy through that. And I think that is a, is a really, it's really something to cherish. And I think it's important not to say, well, that couldn't be me. It's important to recognize that we all can exist in that way and that we all can exist in that space. And in doing so, we strengthen others in their resolve to experience joy. We, we show others the way, so to speak. We enable others to do the same. Um, and I think, you know, even if you are in a season where your view of life is is really dim because i know i've i've been there many times in my own life when when so much of what happens in the world or or within my own sphere or whatever seems to just have this this shadow over it of sorrow of futility of perishability loss grief And I think, like I've said, I don't want to look away from that. I think 
there's something extraordinarily liberating about saying that may well be the case. It may be that I wake up and, and just feel like I'm in a pit, a, a bottomless pit. And yet, even in, even if that is my experience of the moment, I can ever so gently, ever so quietly, take all of that, cast it upon God, and will myself into joy. And, and I think that is tremendously profound. And I will say also, I think for a lot of people, when they encounter the suffering of the world, when they really, you know, meditate on, on the suffering in the world or in their own lives, I think there is a tendency for Christians to experience doubt. As I mentioned, this, this question of how could God permit this? And I can only speak for myself here, but I will say, interestingly enough, I feel like as I really consider Christianity and as I grow in my small, meager sort of way as a Christian, um, and as I sort of confront my own suffering and the sufferings of others, I'm experiencing the reverse. So the more I, I will myself to look at what I, I see as ugly, what I see as frightening, upsetting, sorrowful, when I have that question of well, what do I do with it, with each passing day, it seems more clear to me that there is nothing to be done except to cast it all upon God. And I, I want to be able to say that without it sounding trite, because I don't experience it as, as a sort of platitude. Um, because I think that is the important question, is, is what do I do with the ugliness of the world? And, and like I said, increasingly for me, the more I look at it, the more I come to understand it. Um, the more it seems like a completely straightforward truth that there is nothing to be done but to obediently cast it upon God and strive towards joy. And I'll say here, um, maybe to sort of wrap this up, in, in works of love, Kierkegaard talks about Christianity being both the greatest leniency and the greatest rigorousness. That applies in a lot of different areas. Um, and I think this is, this is an especially useful um, topic to bring those terms in, the greatest leniency and the greatest rigorousness. Um, so with that, I want to recognize it is not easy 
All of this is, I think, very simple. It being simple does not mean that it's easy. And I understand that. I struggle with it every day and I don't want to talk about it as though, oh, you can snap your fingers and everything's fine. The leniency is that we are granted that possibility to cast sorrow upon God. That's the leniency, that we can shed all of the sorrow and all of the suffering, that we don't need to bear it ourselves. Okay? There's our leniency. The rigorousness is that we have that obligation to cast it upon God, to not be here wallowing in our own suffering, to not live our lives in, in this sort of state of lamentation, but to really will ourselves to cast sorrow upon God and to embody joy for ourselves, for God, for those around us. Um, again, unconditional joy, joy apropos of nothing. And there's something so powerful about that. To be in to be in what feels like um, just a, a sort of overwhelming darkness and to will yourself to be the light in that darkness even when it seems that there's no source there's no flame with which to light the candle and yet and yet you're able to sort of have this spontaneous combustion right this this bursting forth into joy you know in in i believe it's in the second discourse on obedience um, when kierkegaard talks about the the profound beauty of the lily that exists amid hostile circumstances the lily that that bursts forth in a place where no one would want to go um, or into circumstances that it knows will result in its own downfall so again the silence, the obedience, the joy, these are all connected. And the more I sort of consider them for myself, the more they feel like one and the same thing. And that's tremendously beautiful. But just think about this, this idea, this image, right, of, of being, you know, the light in the darkness, or, or something like that, that you may not have a reason to be joyful. You may not. You may have reasons to be joyful, and yet you may just feel too overwhelmed. But you can will it. And that's an opportunity and a responsibility that you're given in Christianity. Um, so I will end it there. I think this is really interesting. I love um, this whole set of discourses. Uh, it's it's you know a very short, very simple, poetical work of his, and I think it's just incredibly profound and and worth revisiting. So I don't know what I will be talking about next, but that's all for now. 
I hope this was of some value to you, and I will talk with you next time. Thanks for listening.